0: Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome, welcome back. We are still in season three of the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast. This is the penultimate episode for season three, and I'm very excited because this interview will be really tailored to answering that question about how parents can support their struggling reader at home in tandem with getting that intervention. And so my guest today I'm not even going to introduce all of her credentials because she's such a qualified human being to have this discussion. And I'm so excited. But my guest today is Candy Sellers. And this is my third Orton Gillingham Fellow that I am interviewing. So, Candy, I'm going to actually let you introduce yourself to the audience before we kick off this conversation. So, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Just a little bit about myself. I am a wife and mom of two, one of them being a neurodivergent learner, and we are suspecting the second one is as well. So I'm coming at this from a parent perspective, from a practitioner perspective, and from a training perspective. I am an accredited training fellow with the Orton Gillingham Academy and a certified academic language therapist and qualified instructor with ALTA, which is the Academic Language Therapy Association. And I'm also a structure literacy dyslexia specialist with Siri. I'm a certified teacher, and I have experience in public school, independent schools, and in homeschool settings. And I do currently homeschool my children just because when we didn't qualify for services and I knew there was a need, I knew that we had to take that step. And so that's kind of where our journey has led us currently. But I blog and offer resources because I really am passionate about this field as a parent and as a professional. So thanks
0: for having me. Oh my gosh, Candy. How do you have time to sleep?
1: <laughs> do you sleep? <laughs> so, oddly enough, I'm a terrible sleeper. And I feel like it's my unofficially diagnosed ADHD that <laughs> gives me the creative drive, but also helps me function on low sleep. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, you know, we will definitely get to the point of you plugging your business because I love your resources. But for parents who are listening, if this is your first episode, You're in for a treat. I mean, Candy, this is definitely your passion. Just hearing all of your certifications and just seeing the work that you do, what you put out on Instagram. I'm actually attending your webinar tonight. I'm so excited about it. I'm just so excited to have you here to have this discussion as a practitioner and as a parent. And so with that being said, I do want to kick off our first question. So based on your credentials and in your opinion, parents that have a struggling reader and they're really needing someone like you, right? what would you say they should be looking for in a practitioner? Or let's even take practitioner out because there's some parents who don't even really know what they don't know. They just either know their child is struggling or their child just got a dyslexia diagnosis. What are the qualifications that they should be looking for, for that right fit?
1: That's a great question. I'm going to speak to the organizations that I'm affiliated with. Okay. But Through Alta and through the Academy both, you have various levels of membership, but each level of membership, you can be assured that that individual has had the right amount of coursework to be an expert to work with your child. And they have also gone through a practicum or clinical teaching experience where they were under the mentorship and possibly still under the mentorship Mm -hmm. of someone in the field who is guiding them in their instructional decisions and in their steps as they're making plans for students. I think as a parent, it's important to look at their coursework and practicum. And a side note, I know coursework and practicum is a time and a a financial commitment, but I've been there myself. And so I know that the investment is worth it and there are ways to get it. So that's kind of a side note. But from a parent perspective, look at their coursework, look at their training, look at their practicum, see if they're part of an organization who bases their instruction on guiding principles like the Orton-Gillingham principles or the science of reading. Someone who is going to individualize their instruction for your students' needs, and that is academic, and that is making it emotionally sound. That is progress monitoring to make sure that if something isn't working, we're revisiting it and we are Mm -hmm. making sure that it's good. And someone really who just goes beyond remedial reading support and really dives into developing a plan, addressing all areas of language, and also has a good rapport with your student. I find that's very important. If you don't have the right fit, I would hope as a practitioner that we could have that honest conversation and we would find somebody who is the right fit.
0: Right. I think that that's great. So the, the avid listeners have heard from two other fellows, their opinion as to what that means and they all really align. But for the parents out there that are just so new to this, and I know I touched on this with the interview with Deb Morris. Orton Gillingham to speak to that is just such a buzzword today. And there are so many parents out there that will just say, Oh, I have an OG tutor. I have an OG tutor. So it's so important, parents who are listening to this and you're new to this journey, to really do the background, to really look at the credentials, to really understand. I mean, you don't need to know all the ins and outs of the coursework and all of that. But I think it does speak to the level of expertise rather than, let's just say, and there's nothing wrong with this, getting a college student or someone who literally is just fresh out of undergrad and they just want to have a tutor job because they like working with kids. That's completely different when we're working with a particular type of student that really needs that intense intervention. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's really important. This kind of leads to the next question, which I kind of view this as a two-part question and I say this because the first part is a little bit more generalized and the second one I think is more individualized because I want to really delve into how you address this but more than often in the 12 years that I've been tutoring and that I've been in this education space we know as parents because I'm a mom as well sometimes we're not always thinking in our logic brain when we see our child struggling so once we get that let's say that right practitioner or that right intervention fit more than often parents are like, what do I do at home? How can I help my child at home? And I have always struggled with that question because first for me, not saying I don't want them to help at home, but I also feel like I have to teach you what I want you to do at home, (laughs) which is not helpful because if I were in their position, I would not want to hear this, but I would say just review some of the readings we did from today's lesson, or don't worry about it, or, you know, things that I clearly understand from, you know, in retrospect, like that's not helpful. Obviously you want to help your child in every possible way. And, you know, if you're seeing me twice a week, that's not enough because you want to really make sure that they're getting what they need. So I say all that to say from a general standpoint, when you get that question, what do you usually recommend or what is your quick answer before you really get into the nitty gritty?
1: Okay, so brevity is not my gift. So I'm going to try to be here, right? And I really have kind of two answers because I want to address it from a parent perspective and also yeah. as the practitioner. So one of the most important things that I tell parents is to find rhythms. And I feel like rules, systems, all of those have a negative connotation and parents kind of shy away from those. Mm-hmm. But really the rhythms for your student impact learning and their availability for learning. And so what I mean by that is how does their schedule support what we're doing? Are they mm. over-scheduled? Do they have opportunities for play? Mm. Does their rhythm and routine support where they can get up and not feel rushed and they can get to their tutoring or therapy, dyslexia therapy sessions where they're available for learning? Mm. Do they have an environment at home where they can just unplug and rest and rejuvenate? Do they have an environment at home that is set up for the practice that I want them to do at home or their homework where there's minimal distractions, very peaceful. And I don't have a big house, but in my home, there's one particular spot where my children go to do their um, review and reinforcement. It's not necessarily a desk. I mean, we have flexible seating pieces, but I think the rhythms really drive success too, because they have to be available for learning. And there's all these other pieces that have to be addressed first. Now, Uh from an academic standpoint, one thing that I have done with my students is I have built a library on Google Drive with videos of certain exercises that parents can do with their students. They're very straightforward. So it's like a mini how-to of how to do like our blending card deck or mm-hmm. practicing certain phonemic awareness exercises or using the alphabet art to review certain things that are very straightforward. There are things that I'm using in class and I send it home with them. I also feel like... The decodable stories that I sent home. And I joke that these are not always the most engaging stories. Right, right, right. <laughs> the is to give them that practice. So I would say practice the passages we sent home to build fluency and skill building, to build rhythms, to facilitate learning in emotionally sound environments, and to look at some of those videos and practice some of those exercises. And then a simple one is just, reading aloud, having conversations, Mm -hmm. having a language-rich environment where even though your student may not be reading at this level, they are communicating with you and hearing these rich vocabulary words and these stories that they can connect to. So don't leave that out either.
0: Hey, it's your favorite podcast host, Dr. Lauren. Have I told you how much I appreciate you as a listener? Well, if I haven't, I want to tell you just how much I do today. You're the reason I come back every week with top-notch content with guests to help you navigate this DQ journey. But I gotta tell you, organizing and getting these episodes up and running doesn't come cheap. I have a fantastic podcast team that takes care of me and you to ensure that episodes are high quality and show notes are detailed and riddled with goodies for you to use and apply for your next steps in this journey. But can I ask you a favor? We'd love to have your support to keep the podcast up and running. You can donate as little or as much as you'd like to support the podcast. All you need to do is go to the link in the show notes or visit our website at thinkdyslexia.me and click support the podcast and it will take you exactly where you need to be. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and of course, share this podcast with others who are on the same journey as you. Yeah, and I think you essentially answered the second part, but I do want to touch on what you said the first part, the parent part. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I was really hearing was it's not just about the standard response of parents are like, "Well, I just want my kid to read." Mm-hmm. Like you're offering them an option for what I call a more holistic approach. Mm-hmm. You know, really making sure that they have that safe space, making sure that they're available to learn That's another piece that when I get on consult calls and then when I get clients to work with, you know, the first question is, okay, so when are you available? When are we going to start this? And really, I say, I really want to know what your schedule looks like in terms of when your child is academically available because more than often, and it's nobody's fault, but we want to make sure our kids are balanced in social aspects and academic and downtime. But sometimes we overbook our kids. And so they might have gymnastics till six and then it's like, okay, well then we'll come see you at 630. But then at that point, they may not be available to learn. And I think that that's kind of where, and I know we'll delve into this in a second, but that's where I feel like that holistic approach is so huge with that social emotional piece. Really, how are we supporting our children to know? I don't think six o'clock is a good time for me to learn right now. (laughs) Like I think I function better in the morning or I function better right after school. And obviously we have to understand what that looks like in everybody's schedule. But I just love that you really touched on that because you didn't just say, go home and just read this decodable book. Like you're really giving a whole balanced approach to that. And I also love, because this was my next question, like how do you as a practitioner individualize the plans for the families? And obviously you cater whatever it is to what that family needs. But you did give a general understanding of you have the Google folder where parents can access that. And if they're like, well, how do we practice the blending drill? You're like, boom, here's the link. Go ahead and practice that. Or like, oh, here's the decodable. Read this between now and the next time I see you and whatever. And I think that that probably sits well with parents and also gives parents who are listening that idea and that concept of like, oh, I can help my child, but it's maybe not in the sense that is the traditional way. Or maybe some parents really just don't know what to do. And they're really looking to us to kind of give them that silver bullet. Because I know that sometimes that is kind of the feeling of I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do, especially, I don't know if you work with more of the littles or the olders, but when I get kids that are in middle school, I tend to get more anxious parents that are like my child's four grades behind. You know, what can we do to get them up to speed in three months? And it takes time, as we know.
1: Absolutely. And I think that if you're a parent and you feel like you can do nothing else to support your child, you are the expert on your child. So communicating with your tutor or your therapist about their needs, kind of their rhythms and things that are happening at school. But if you do nothing else, you know, if you are that one who's just their advocate and their confidence you know, you build their confidence, especially that older learner as well. Right. They need you to be their number one cheerleader not be unrealistic, but also show them that we're moving with a pathway forward and right. giving them an opportunity to express their frustrations and talk them through it. But also just partnering with and having open communication with your tutor or your therapist. And then when it's appropriate, when you have time using those targeted strategies that are shared to you by your tutor or therapist to follow up. But You're their soft landing. You're their leader. You might get the ugly side of it because they're frustrated, but that's a big role. That's a big job. So maybe that's where you play the biggest part for now. And then we build on that.
0: Right. And for those of you who are listening that have older, let's say secondary age children, I invite you to pause this or at the end of this episode, go back and listen to the episode with Deb Morris. I can't remember what episode number that is, but she talks about high schoolers Mm -hmm. and the struggling reader and really delving into that self-esteem and how like, as we know, the older we get, the harder it gets. And it's just more behavioral issues really come up. And then that's kind of where parents really need to look at how do I support my child in all of these aspects. But I do want to touch on the holistic approach. And I really want to get your opinion. So as a practitioner and how long you've been in this space working with, first of all, your own kids, homeschooling them and working with other kids. In your opinion, what is a holistic approach and why is that appropriate for this space?
1: Well, I think we have touched on it a little bit in the sense that, of course, we want to meet them where they are in academics and make sure they have the support they need to be successful. But there's so many other facets that impact that, you know, how do they feel about themselves? What is their input? What is their thoughts? What are their goals? And how can you help them get to their goals? And so I think it's important because if we think about mindset and teaching them to have that power of yet mindset that we may be having some challenges now, but this is our plan forward. These are the steps we're taking to make you feel supported give you the tools and strategies that you need and really empower you to be where you need to be. And then as a family, if you're doing goal setting, not only mm-hmm. as a family unit, but with your therapists or your practitioners, for example, both of my children, one has been in OT, one has been in speech. So we're making those collective goals. Right. And everybody's on the same page. And then it helps my student build advocacy. So my daughter is a little bit outspoken. I don't know where she gets that from. Um, <laughs> but she will go in and tell her teachers, this is X, Y, and Z. This is how I learn best. I need to sit here. I need this. She does it in a respectful way, but being an elementary age student, she's learned that I have differences, but this is what I can do about it. And this is how I need right. to communicate to my teachers. And I think that's such an important part to build them up to where they feel that confidence and then give them the tools and the goals to get there. As far as considering... Having that assessment and that intervention, that's such an important role too, because it's keeping a pulse check that we're moving mm-hmm. forward, that we're hitting our targets, that we're hitting our goals. I'm constantly going back and revisiting what worked, what didn't work, what are some areas of strength, how can I support these areas of growth, and then making sure you have the right intervention so that you don't mm-hmm. waste time on something that's ineffective. So I think that you know when you consider the learning needs, when you consider the emotional needs, when you consider the advocacy needs, all of those pieces are important. And if you work as a team, if you communicate with your child and with the interventionist, it really is beneficial for everybody. I think everybody wins.
0: Yeah. And I love how you broke that down and touched on so many different components. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking about what about the parent that's like, well, I'm you know, hiring you because you have this skill set and these credentials and I just don't get it. Everything you're saying is googly gobs. So Here's the money and let's make sure my child is doing well. I don't think we get much of that, but sometimes I do kind of feel like I have worked with parents where they're like, I don't really know how to set a goal for this. You know, I just want my kid to read. And I wonder if for me, I'm thinking it's kind of that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to go pay my accountant to do my taxes. I don't really want to know how to do it, but I'm just going to pay for this service. Clearly, that is different. Well, I guess money can be emotional, but with your kid, I just really feel like. That's where the mindset of the parents come in. And I know that you've used the word therapist several times where that therapist vibe comes in where there could be a block with the parent because maybe they're realizing their struggles. I have worked with parents who've actually opened up about I didn't realize why it was so frustrating to do homework with my child because this was around the time where I struggled. And I think it brings up almost like putting salt in a wound. And so sometimes there can be that emotional block that makes it harder to not necessarily say you can't work with the family, but I feel like that really is a difference between someone who just says, hey, I'm a tutor and I can help your kid learn to read versus someone in this space where you have the credentials you have to really understand that emotionally sound student, but also that family to support them in this journey, because the bottom line is this is a journey. And I think parents learn a lot about themselves in this journey as to maybe the way we might think, oh, I want to support my kids this way. But then as you're in this journey, you realize they need your support in this way. So I don't know if that made sense. I was just kind of thinking out loud as you were talking, but I was really thinking about that parent that might have a wall up and it's not that they don't want to help. Maybe they don't know how because of their own struggles too.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's a great point because, you know, it's always see stages of the journey from indicators to diagnosis, to intervention, to that moment of first big successes. And that's where I think that team piece is so important because yes, you come to me as a dyslexia practitioner because I've had certain training and clinical teaching experiences and I have practice in this field. And so you're going to trust me to make these instructional decisions, do this progress monitoring, do this assessment to know where they are and what they need. But I'm going to lean on you in your area of expertise, which is your child, to right. look at those goals and see, yes, that's where we want to go as a family. That's where this works best for them. Or here's a little tip about some areas of interest or things that really work well for them. And then likewise, it's, we're working together. And yeah, it is a lot of times working through seeing yourself and your own struggles and your own successes in your child, but just being open-minded to know that with the right interventions and with right, the right steps, there is success. And that also, it doesn't have to be as hard as it was for you. Like you are right a cycle of frustration and struggle and taking appropriate steps to get your child what they need. And it's not that your family didn't do that for you. I just feel like there's more knowledge now. There's more available now. So yeah, I think that's a great point that it's a journey for everybody. And I think that's why it's important that everybody is honest and open and in constant communication.
0: Yeah. And to just finish off that question for parents out there, there is no quick fix. So I know more than often I will get parents that are saying, well, after three months, then what? Well, This is how your child's brain is wired. So, I mean, obviously they're going to get the resources and the rewiring and all of that that they need with the right practitioner, but they're always going to have a dyslexic brain or a language-based learning difference brain. So it's so important to know that we're in this journey together, which is why I always call it a holistic approach to the OG intervention, or I should just say really the structured literacy intervention. So thank you for that, Candy. So we are coming to the end of the episode, but we can't end without hearing a little bit more about the Instruction Hub and where people can find you and all of your amazing resources. So let us know where we can find you.
1: My website is theinstructionhub.com. I'm also on Instagram at the Instruction Hub and on Facebook as the Instruction Hub. And my emphasis is to support individuals who have, their own children in this field who are educators who want to learn more, who are professionals in related fields, who want to learn more as well. I offer webinars for parents and professionals in the field as well. I offer Orton-Gillingham training courses and practicum experiences. And then I also try to offer practical, tangible, takeaway, immediate strategies and routines and ideas to make the Orton-Gillingham approach in structured literacy meaningful, purposeful, But also, you know, we're working with students. So even a little bit fun or outside the box and then offer blog posts and that sort of thing that I hope will be an encouragement or a resource for parents and educators and all of those in the community alike.
0: Yeah, definitely. So Candy's link will be in the show notes. Definitely support her. And I really hope that you all found this episode very impactful. And as I always say, please share this episode and any other episodes that really resonate with you with other parents, teachers, anybody who you really feel would benefit from all of this content. So Candy, thank you so much. I know you're a busy lady and I want to respect your time. So thank you so much for finding time to have this wonderful conversation with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed my time.